I want us tonight uh, to draw our text. Um, you can remain seated if you'd like to because I'm not just going to read a big long text. I'm just going to talk to you a little bit. This is a, this is a special week. It really is uh, for the church because if this week would not have happened, you and I wouldn't be sitting here right now. And I'm thankful, I'm thankful for this week in our history. I am very thankful that the Lord was mindful enough of us that he robed himself in flesh, dwelt among us, gave his life on a cross, resurrected from the grave. And this is always a very sobering week for me. Um, a lot of people think about uh, the resurrection one Sunday out of the year. And when it gets to this week for me, I start seeing everybody putting out their, um, come worship with us this Sunday, come worship with us this Sunday. This is going to be the resurrection Sunday. And uh, maybe my mind's just weird, but I always, I'm very thankful for the resurrection. But I wonder what he was going through on Wednesday. Does that make any sense? Like, we know what's happening on Friday. We know what's coming, thank the Lord, Resurrection Sunday. But what was he thinking about on Wednesday? Now, I'm going to start off by saying tonight that Believe it or not, there are two, two different kind of thought processes about what the week looked like for the Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection. Most of the time, you're going to find that people believe what we uh, kind of, the way we kind of celebrate it, uh, that he was crucified on Friday, laid in the grave those three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, resurrected on that third day there's another train of thought that believes it happened on Wednesday and I'm gonna it, it really doesn't matter to me when it happened but I'm gonna tell you why I believe it happened the way that it did uh, I believe that it happened on Friday and I'm gonna tell you why because I believe that the Lord honored the Sabbath and I believe that when they laid him in the tomb there was a reason that they rushed to get his body there before the setting of the sun on Friday, left him there on that Saturday, and that he resurrected on Sunday. Now, again, there are some different trains of thought, but I'm going to tell you why I believe what I believe. For one thing, in Luke 24, uh, on the first day of the week, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus, and uh, about the 18th verse in your Bible, you're going to find out that Jesus started walking with a couple of disciples that did not recognize him and these disciples he asked him uh, I'm going to give this to you in layman's terms but it's in 18 uh, Luke 24 verses 18 through 21 and they looked at Jesus and they said are, like are you stupid have you not heard what just happened here and one of these named Cleopas makes a statement he said he said today is the third day since this happened now this is the day that Jesus resurrected now it goes really deep there's people that talk about if it had to happen on Wednesday the reason that it was the third day is because it was all finished up on Thursday and it started counting from Thursday it goes through it's a bunch of stuff to make your head spin it's kind of crazy but if you go to verse 19, I believe it may be, Brother Tyler. Uh, go down one more to 20. Let's see. Are we in, uh, uh, give me 21, let's see. Yes, right here. We trusted that it had been he which should have uh, redeemed Israel. Beside all this, today is the, the third day since these things were done. This is the third day. So if we take the regular idea and approach that it happened that way. Now there... There is some thought about the Passover having two Sabbaths, and again, it's deep to go into all of that, but we're just going to use tonight a general idea 
that in this week, regardless of, of how you look at it, whether it happened uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, or it happened Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I want to tell you that as we start lining these things up, we start to see that the demeanor of the Messiah begins to change as he enters into this week of sobriety before the crucifixion. And so in Matthew chapter 26, I would like to read to you tonight out of Matthew 26. And it said, and it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover. The Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Now this is interesting. The Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then the chief priest, the scribes, the elders of the people uh, unto the palace, they assembled into the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. They consulted that they might take Jesus to subtility and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. And technically speaking, depending on how the week unfolded, that's actually exactly what happened. Is that Jesus was crucified in the middle of that season. For he observed the Passover with his disciples... And then he was crucified. So what does that mean? There's a simple little principle here that I want to get to you. That nobody but God controls his narrative. Nobody but God controls his timeline. So the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, I want to put something in your spirit. And I want you to hold on to this with every YouTube prophet that you see. Only the Lord knows the day or the hour. And no man knows how to control his narrative. And I'm just telling you right now that if it's happening in the earth right now, it may not be the perfect will of God, but it is certainly in the permissible will of God. And as it transpires right now in the permissible will of God, what you need to understand is no matter what kind of darkness unfolds in front of you, don't forget. No one controls his narrative but him. And so I'm telling you tonight that I have a reason to be hopeful in the end time. And this week is the reason why I'm hopeful. That when it was men of darkness that wanted to take him and kill him and put him in a tomb and seal him up and put a stone over it. They said, be sure you seal it real good. And they put soldiers there to be sure that no one molested that stone. I'm glad to tell you that nobody but him controls his narrative. What you need to be aware of is that if the enemy could have stopped the kingdom of God, it would have been stopped a long time ago. And if the enemy could have stopped you, he would have stopped you a long time ago. And if the devil could have killed you, you would have been dead a long time ago. But somebody needs to remind the devil tonight, you don't write the story. You don't control the narrative of my life. You don't control the narrative of the church. You don't control the narrative of the master. Praise God. So this is an interesting week. And we're going to use, we're going to use tonight, not for the sake of doctrine, but for the sake of just giving you a timeline, depending on how you prefer to view the Passover. But we're going to use Wednesday because it's Wednesday night and we're at midweek in the house of the Lord. And if we look at it from the week of Monday through Friday, so to speak, and how that happens, Wednesday is known as hump day. It's the day that we hit in the middle of the week. Well, we finally get to start going back downhill. And it was actually men that messed that up, believe it or not, because in the beginning, it was only the plan of God that a man works so much and then he find rest. And 
So when men went to work in seven days a week, they moved hump day. They still call it that, but it has created a problem with people. They may make more money than they've ever made, but they're more stressed than they've ever been. They live shorter lives than they've ever lived. Come on, somebody. It's the pressure of this world to do bigger, better, have more, have greater things. We get to the end of life and people fight over the things that we work so hard to enjoy. And I'm pretty sure that's why the Messiah, everywhere he went, Jesus was saying things like, don't lay up for yourself treasures where moth and rust doth corrupt. He said, lay up treasures in heaven. Listen, I'm telling you tonight, it's irrelevant. I, I know, I know, I finally did see a picture of it. I used to say I'd never seen it. I finally saw a picture of a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. I did see it. But I think somebody did it because of the joke. And uh, it's amazing to me what people focus on right now and what matters the most to them. And then when they get to the end of their life, all of that becomes irrelevant. But what you do right here in this moment for God is what's going to matter the most. And so tonight, I want to talk to you. I'm going to give you a subject title right here. We're going to deal with, with what happened in the midweek of, of the crucifixion week, okay? We're going to deal with the midweek. And I'm going to talk to you about this. Now, it's going to get tough for a second. Turn to somebody and tell them, ask, ask them this question. Are you sold out? Or are you a sellout? Are you sold out? Or are you a sellout? Now I'm going to take this from a Monday, Tuesday perspective. But in the week of Jesus' crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. There have been two momentous days that have passed in the week. We're going to say tonight that it was Monday and Tuesday because tonight's Wednesday. On Monday, if that's the way that the week was laid out, there was the cleansing in the temple. I talked to, the, to you about this over the weekend. It was cleansing that happened in the temple. There were laments over Jerusalem's lack of faith when he said he wept over Jerusalem. And he lamented over them and he said, you have... Not known your time of visitation. And he passes by the fig tree, curses the fig tree. Peter recognizes the curse of the fig tree. And I preached to you a little bit about that. And then Tuesday we find uh, in the week Jesus' exhaustive interrogations by his opponents. As they're going back and forth with him, wrestling with him about this, that, and the other. And how you feel about it. And apparently if you read... Mark, it looks like that in the third day of the week that Jesus, or third and fourth day of the week that Jesus spent his time in Bethany. And it was there in Bethany, according to uh, Matthew's gospel in 26 that we read tonight, that Jesus begins the day with a dark and ominous warning. And the warning was that after he finished his sayings, he said, as you know, the Passover is in two days. And he said, the Son of Man is betrayed and he's going to be crucified. And it's at that moment, if you can imagine this, I wish some of you could see this, but where Jesus is, the conversation shifts across the valley, across the Kidron Valley. We walk into a conversation in the third verse where the chief priests assemble together. Now they're talking about it and they're deciding how they're going to control the narrative. And they're going to be sure that this happens, but not during the festival. And so, as it plays out, now listen to what I'm telling you tonight. I want to get this down deep in somebody's spirit. Wednesday's a big day. Because while this conversation is happening, the Bible tells us that at Bethany, Jesus is sitting at lunch in the house. When a woman walks into the house, she came in with an alabaster jar. 
that was filled with perfume. And the people in the room are saying, this is a waste. Jesus says that it's worship. It's worship on Wednesday. And the woman is pouring her heart out, if you would, before the Lord. Now listen to what I'm telling you right here. At the same time that this woman is pouring her heart out in worship at the feet of Jesus on this midweek day, the prophetic utterance that rolled off the mouth of Jesus in verses 1 and 2 are coming to pass because it's on this midweek day that Judas leaves the presence of the Lord and starts making a deal. Now the betrayal itself, some say, did not happen until the garden when he walks up and kisses the Messiah. But I'm telling you, the betrayal happened when the bargaining began. What's your point, Pastor? I'm saying to you that some people are backslidden before the evidence becomes obvious in the garden. There were conversations that were transpiring that were outside of the will of God. And listen, Judas is making a deal. And they ask him, they said, how much is it going to cost us? And he's kind of like bringing this on, you know. What, what would you give me? And they're like, well, how much is it going to cost us? And they start working all this out. And for 30 pieces of silver, he decides that he's going to be a sellout. He decides that he's going to be a sellout. And he's going to sell his soul for 30 pieces of silver that we find later in the narrative that he comes back and throws those 30 pieces of silver back down on the ground at the feet of those priests and he loses everything that he thought he had gained when he sold out. It's the story of the backslider that when they walk away from the Lord in disappointment, whatever that disappointment may be, everything they seek to gain before it's over, they lose. Now, what was it that caused Judas to be so frustrated? I don't know other than perhaps reality was setting in on Judas. That Jesus did not come to restore Israel the way that Judas thought he would. Maybe Judas has now started questioning the same thing that John did in the prison, John Baptist. Are you really him? Should we start looking for somebody else? Have you come to restore Israel or not? And then we can see that Judas gets offended in his spirit. And somehow he slips off from the presence of the Lord. Now, I really do wish that people lived the way that I felt things when I was a kid. You'd hear preachers preach. They would get up and say things like, there is no thing hidden from God. And it would move people to conviction and repentance. And now when people say there is no thing hidden from God, there's somebody sitting in the house that says, well, he may think he knows everything. There's some sitting in the house tonight that may say, well, God knows my heart and he understands my shortcoming." And God knows why I've got to do what I've got to do. And he knows why I've got to exist the way I'm existing and what I've got to do to get by. I'm telling you that in this hour in which we live right now, hear, Pastor, when I tell you that the spirit of justification is working in the earth and it's working overtime. It used to be that it bothered us when we found out the things that the Lord knew about us that we thought was secret and hidden. But the Lord revealed it. And now instead of allowing him to turn that stone over and reveal what's going on in our hearts, we keep it hidden and say, Lord, you're just going to have to understand where I'm coming from. I'm going to get heavy right here, okay, so stay with me. Things have changed in our society. That's absolutely inevitable. Change happens. But there's also been a dynamic shift in the church. Now, I hope y'all got your seatbelts on because I'm fixing to preach faith in a weird way right here. But I came from a generation of faith that was way different than the generation that we see right now. 
And I'm going to tell you why. It's because we've got options. We've got more options than we know what to do with. Are y'all ready? Can I preach to you for a minute? There was a time back in the day, so to speak, that when you had no other options, you'd just hit your knees and cry out to God, whether it was 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. But oh, well, times have changed. Because now, why would we get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and seek God? When we can go to the doctor and get some Ambien. And we've come to the place now where we're prescribing what we used to pray off. And we've got options and we can walk into that cabinet and open it up and start popping pills that we used to pray away. People dealing with anxieties and depression and dark places. And I'm not saying that some folks don't need help. Don't get me wrong. I'm not here to minimize that or hurt anybody's feelings. But I'm telling you that there was a time that even if we got help, Jesus was at least our first option. And now we live in a day and an age when we get anxiety, we just take a pill for it. Now when we feel depression coming on, there's no way that it could be a spiritual attack. It's just what I'm going through. Anybody in here ever been listening to the radio or watching something when the deal comes on for the pill for depression? By the time they're done with the 874 side effects, one of them being suicide, you're like, why? But as we see the progression... We see that it used to be shut in with God in a secret place. There in the spirit beholding his face and gaining new power to run in this race. And then it slowly evolved into just a little talk with Jesus. And we live in a culture now that says, why would we meditate when we can medicate? tough up in here right now you know I'm not an anti-doctor guy I'm not an anti-medicine guy thank God for it I'm glad they can help you I'm all about it we got medical people in this church I thank God for them matter of fact I was talking with uh, one of our nurses last night and saying you know it's hard when you're speaking from a place of faith that you don't want people in that in that world to think you're speaking out against them being negative but we really when you got the Holy Ghost you see things a little different than the world does Come on, somebody. We don't get up every time our nose is running and just run to the doctor and say, oh, fill me up with medicine. We don't. There have been times in my life that I didn't have time to go get medicine. I just had to walk in there to my kid's room with the fever on their brow. Join that fever with a sweaty palm and say, Lord, by faith right now, I'm believing. And I've watched my wife walk in that room and take down that long, uncut hair lay it across the bed onto that baby and begin to pray the prayer of faith and healing would begin to flow. I'm not saying to you that God hasn't given us help, but I'm also saying that God has given us faith and God has given us the ability to believe. We've got to shake ourselves from this present world that we've got a thousand options, but Jesus is somewhere at the bottom of the list. Oh, my, my. And so it's like for Judas, as the negotiations begin, it's 30 pieces. 30 pieces of silver. I've heard all kinds of things in my life about the 30 pieces of silver. I've seen people try to measure that out to what it'd be worth today. But I'm just going to tell you, however you want to measure it out, I've heard it was a going price for a slave. This is what I can tell you. Whatever it was, it wasn't enough. And if you don't set a price in your life that is a premeditated limit, when you get to the table of negotiations and you've got no hard fact to stand on, you're going to sit down. 
in pilot training, there was a particular instructor that I had listened to for a long time going into instrument training where you fly in the inclement weather, you can't see the ground, you, you don't have visual references, and you have to fly solely by your instruments. And this guy is a stickler. He's, he's hardcore. He's like, you got to know your minimum personal limits. It's a big deal with him. Know your minimum personal limits. And he just drills that into every student's head. Know your minimum personal limits. And they change from time to time. As you feel like you're more confident, you become a more proficient pilot going to. But my point is that he said you set your minimum limits. And if you set them at, I don't fly if it's less than 2,000 foot ceiling, 8 miles visibility. What do you do when you get to the airport and there's 10 miles visibility but 1,800 foot ceiling? You don't fly. Well, it's only 200 feet. It may get better. That's a reason why you set limits in your life. And there's a reason why before you ever get to the conversation with the high priest, that 30 piece will never be enough. If you don't make up your mind right now, hear me tonight. I'm going to help somebody. This is not rambling right here. I'm going to help you. If you don't make up in your mind right now that you're not for sale, somebody's going to offer you the right price. Can you imagine that Judas was less than a week away from seeing redemption in Israel? If we're following a regular work week and this conversation happened on Wednesday and the crucifixion happened on Friday, then we're looking at just a couple days away, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Two more days after that, we're looking at the resurrection. So however you want to put it in the middle of the week, what I want to tell you is that he was less than three days away from seeing the consolation of Israel. And sold out for 30 pieces of silver. So I ask you tonight in the boldness of the Holy Ghost, What's your price? What's the government going to have to offer you to get you to turn your back on truth? I hope to God we don't deal with it, but I've had, just being really transparent with you, I've had a difficult time this past year knowing who to listen to and who to trust and some say this is safe, and some say that's not safe, and it's, it's chaos. And I'm going to tell you all something right now. You better just be led by the Holy Ghost. Because we're coming to a season we're in right now, I believe, where men are calling good evil and evil good. Oh, my, my. If we have ever needed to be spirit-led and discerning in the Holy Ghost, we need it right now. Jesus said when they start crying peace and safety, you better start looking to the hills. I make you a promise today when I tell you this. I make you a promise. And I mean no disrespect whatsoever. But some people, their minds are so clouded with the ideas of this world that if you could liken this present day and age to the Holocaust and things that happened in our history that if some people were told to go line up to get on the train, they'd go stand in line for it in Jesus' name. We got to discern in the Holy Ghost. There are people right now that are crying out, saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And when they start looking for answers, and they turn towards the apostolic church. We don't need to still be trying to figure out our price when they look. When the world is in confusion. And they look at the denominal world and the denominal world is for sale. When they look at Pentecost they need to say they've never been for sale. They've never been willing to sell out. They're sold out. Something has got to happen in us as the church of the living God that we establish ourselves. Can you imagine being one of the 12 that walk with Jesus every day but three days before your consolation you walk away because of disappointment. What was the disappointment? That Jesus didn't come to rule as a governmental power. 
Read it for yourself. Well, when, when are you going to restore Israel? Is that when, when's that going to happen? And they're looking for political salvation. And in political disappointment, more than likely, Judas hangs his head and he says, you know what, it's just not worth it anymore. When you start saying things like that, 30 pieces sounds like a lot. Woo! And so as we walk up every day of our lives to the table of negotiation, the enemy is... Vying for our soul. My question again to you tonight is, what's your price? What's it going to take? I'm going to get real with you right here. If we live to see great tribulation in the earth, as some have seen other places in the earth, they're just not, they don't happen to be American. So, If we live to see great tribulation... I really get concerned about how people who call themselves redeemed are going to approach the end times. There was a lot of things up in the air about vaccines and all that, you know, several months ago because there are patents that have been filed for. And if you watched any of my podcasts that we did, we talked about some of the patents that were being filed and all that stuff. And so people were asking me, Pastor, you believe this vaccine is marked the beast? No, I don't. I don't believe it's the mark of the beast. But I can tell you right now, there's a great spirit of confusion that's coming with all of the stuff that we're dealing with right now. It was confusion from the start. That's why, please, I'm not trying to get goofy here, but that's why when we started, they said, no, 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 don't, you, don't be wearing masks. There's no reason for anybody to walk around wearing masks. And now we're all still walking around wearing masks. And supposedly the 6th of next month, they're supposed to lift one and other counters are saying, we don't care what the state does, we're leaving our ban. And private business owners are saying, we're going to leave our ban. So it's just push, 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 push. And numbers don't matter to anybody. It don't matter. When people say believe science, they mean believe one, one way of thinking. That's it. And there's one narrative that's being pushed. And it can only be done through fear. And so the way that we're living right now, we're seeing, Jesus said, not Luke St. Clair, Jesus said that men's hearts would fail them for what? For fear. And there's a fear narrative that's being pushed. That if you go to church, you I, I promise y'all, I think they're for about, Three or four months, there were people that honestly believed the only place you could get it was a church. And, I, and I, I'm talking to some of the medical people in our church, and I'm saying, what do you think we ought to do? And they're like, I think we need to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. And I, I, really, I really do, I'm not trying to sound like, fear tonight, but I really do wonder in my mind if there was a way we could just go around the room tonight, and I certainly understand the Lord's a perfect gentleman, he wouldn't do this, but if, if there was some way that we could measure by a meter or some kind of a digital uh, readout over the head of every person in this house, what's your price? Because what's invisible to me, listen to pastor, What's invisible to me tonight, I don't know your price. Some of you I could probably guess pretty close and just say, I know those people never sell out. But it's because I want to believe in you and, and I love you. But what I can't see in the invisible world, the enemy has had access to when you open your mouth and say things. Because it's one thing to testify in the middle of a crowd. While others are being filled with the Holy Ghost, and waters of baptism are being troubled, and faith is high. But what do you do when you're by yourself? And there's nobody around, and they say, well, I'm just telling you right now that if you don't deny the name of Jesus, we're going to put this gun to your head. So what's your price? 
Now here comes the reality. This, this is the hard part of pastoring right here. This is the part where I hope y'all still love me when I'm done. But I just want to tell you right now that the Lord has been showing your price over the last few months. By how we've responded to the spirit of fear in the earth. The Lord has been showing our price and our value. And what it's going to cost to get us to shut down. And I don't say this to be critical, but I just want to tell you, there is no such thing, no such thing as an end time hero that's going to stand up when all of this trouble is released in the earth that wouldn't stand up when they could stand freely. It's not going to happen. You're not going to find people the closer we get to judgment day that are going to keep standing for truth if they wouldn't stand for truth right now when it didn't cost them much. Because right now they're sitting down at the table. Again, you've heard me preach this. This is kind of my mantra right now. They're sitting down at the table saying, well, is this necessary for me to be saved? Is this heaven or hell? Is that just old-fashioned doctrine? Is that just old-fashioned preaching? Is that old-time Pentecost? Or is that necessary today? Do I really have to do that? And while we're sitting down negotiating what we think is necessary for salvation, the Lord's saying, "Mm, let me adjust that just a little bit. It don't take long to preach like this before it gets quiet. Wow, those are good people, Pastor. They've never walked. I'm talking about a man that walked with Jesus for three and a half years, Bishop. Was there dipping his hand in the sop with the Lord? But it was too late. Listen, folks, this ought to mess with somebody right here. You've already had the conversation, and you can still sit down at the table and dip your hand in the sop. What's that mean, Pastor? That means that some people in this place, and I hope, I hope, I pray to God that somebody will get it right. But I'm telling you, if if I know humanity, there's somebody in this room tonight that's already had the conversation. But you're sitting here at the table of mercy tonight dipping your hand in the sop so that everybody else will think you're all right. But what God sees and what we see are two different things because you can fool this old preacher. And you can fool your brothers and your sisters. But there's coming a day that that which is hidden will be revealed. So, what do we do then, Pastor? What do we do on this midweek? There are two stories that we can extrapolate from this chapter that I read to you tonight and this is amazing to me that while one man is having a conversation of betrayal another woman who the scripture said we believe to be Mary Magdalene had had seven devils cast out of her you got one man over here disappointed what the Lord hasn't done You got another woman over here that's so grateful for what he did that while one man's selling out, being a sellout, another woman over here is becoming sold out. This man's over here saying, how much will you pay me if I deny him? And this one over here is saying, I don't care how much it costs me if I can just touch him. So I ask you tonight, are you sold out or are you a sellout? Because here's what you need to know. There will be sellouts in the end time. There will be a falling away in the end time. But there will also be people that could care less how much it costs them. If they can just get close to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you the powerful part of this story to me 
When that woman came to worship Jesus, it didn't matter what Judas was doing. It didn't matter what the chief priests were saying. Nobody can stop your worship when you fall in love with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. A true worshiper will worship their way through while somebody else betrays him. How can you tell a difference in the spirit of the two? I just preached it to you, but I want to be sure to slow this down and get it in your heart. You can usually tell by the nature of the question. If the nature of the question is what's in it for me. Or if it's a statement of what can I do? God, what, what, whatever I have to do. Whatever I have to do, just let me get close. You know what I think, Bishop... I just think the further I go in this thing, I, it's never been expensive for me. It's never cost me too much. It really ha- I, I mean, I, I've never felt like it cost too much to live for God. I really never have. I've never had any regrets about living the way I live, being separated from Never once, not one time in my life. But the closer I get to the coming of the Lord, I'm thinking, surely to God, these people are going to start realizing in our society that it's just easier to live for God. I watch some of these backsliders that have walked away from God and the things that they're going through right now. And I've asked Bishop and my wife and several people just sitting around when we'll see somebody on Facebook or somebody's doing and you see the hell they're going through. And I've asked the question probably a thousand times. Isn't it just easier? Wouldn't it just be easier? To just get sold out, live for God, raise your kids in the house of God. Well, I want them to be a star. Well, I'd rather them pass by the stars on their way to heaven. I don't care if my kids have notoriety in the earth. I want my kids to be saved. And the spirits revealed the woman was anointing him Judas was neglecting him same day one's having a conversation of commitment the other's a conversation of abandonment so I ask you tonight are you sold out are you a sellout? As I sat here at the church today searching my heart, I was thinking about the power of this week and what it means for all of us. And I'm going to tell you the thing I love about the kingdom of God is the level playing field. That Calvary, Calvary was not for the elite. Now if the elite want to come to Calvary, they still got to come. But they come the same way that the lowly come. And that's the thing I love about this week. Is that as he was preparing his heart and his mind for what was to come. And preparing his heart for the cup. I know that his heart stopped beating on the cross. But he really died in Gethsemane. That's where he, he died out when he said the spirit's willing God, this moves me tonight. Can I tell you that that's still the problem in the modern church today? If the Spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. And as Jesus was standing in the garden, there was no Lucifer standing there tempting him like he did in the wilderness. That temptation came long before Jesus went to Gethsemane. That temptation in the world. Jesus was wrestling with his fleshly nature in the garden. If it's possible, let the cup pass from me. If it's possible. And then comes the power. But if not, if the cup can't pass, nevertheless, 
nevertheless, I'm not for sale. I've already sold out, and I don't have a price. Whatever it costs, it's what I'm going to give. And if it takes a crown of thorns, then it takes a crown of thorns. And if it takes 39 stripes, then that's what it takes. And if it takes being spit on, that's what it takes. If it takes being cussed out, that's what it takes. If it takes nails in my hands, it takes nails in my feet. If it takes my lungs filling up with fluid and I can't breathe. If it takes me giving everything. If it takes a spear being thrust in my side with blood and water coming out, that's what it takes. But I've already named it. I'm not for sale. I sold out to this thing. I'm committed to the will of the Father. And so I'm asking tonight in this house, in this midweek service, before we ever celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, are you sold out? Are you sold out? Are you sold out? I'm asking you tonight. Are you sold out? These are decisions nobody can make up for you, see. If coming to church was enough, pastor can help you make up your mind tonight, but I can't. I can't. If I could save you, I would. But we were commended in the book of Acts to save ourselves from this untoward generation because it's a personal decision that I'm going to have to work out my salvation with fear and with trembling. And so I'm asking you on the midweek of the death, burial, and resurrection, (laughs) are you sold out or are you a sellout? closer we get to the coming of the Lord it's going to be interesting I want to show you something about this little woman that poured this oil out on the feet of Jesus Bishop Jesus said this is an offering she brought to me and you'll see it in your Bible he said everywhere that the gospel is preached in this world you need to tell the story of this woman right here He said, the story of the woman who sold out is the story that needs to be told. But how sad is it that on the day of Pentecost, before it was fully come, they were having to have elections to replace apostleship because Judas was a sellout. <laughs> Folks, listen to pastor. I'm not here to be mean tonight. I'm not here to be ugly. I'm not here to hurt anybody. But I'm here on the commission from heaven. And I'm reaching for somebody that's been teetering back and forth. You felt a little relief in the atmosphere. And it feels a little better right now. Because things are calming down. And mandates are being lifted. And oh, it's going to get a little bit better. We can get freed up and go. I'm just telling you right now. If it's not this, it's going to be something else. From here to the coming of the Lord. got to make up your mind tonight while we can and nobody has anything to say about it we're going to worship what is it that's keeping you from being in the house of the Lord what is it that's keeping you from being in the house of God and ask yourself this question tonight if whatever it is that's keeping you from the house of the Lord is that my price is that what it's going to cost me is that all it's going to cost For my soul. One thing you can guarantee. Is that it's not hard to find disciples. While loaves and fish are being multiplied. But the closer you get to the cross and the garden. The crowd gets thin. So I'm reaching tonight for that person that says Lord. I'm going to travel with you. (laughs) He lo boho shatadaba What's it going to take, church family? Ultimately, what's it going to take to move us 
to true repentance. What will it take for true works of Toshiva in our life? What will it take for God to turn our processes around? What conversation will we be having on midweek right here before the resurrection? Before the crucifixion? Is your midweek conversation what's in it for me? Because people that are always praying what's in it for me are saying, Lord, just hurry up and come before there's trouble. But people that are willing to sell out say, Lord, even if trouble comes. going to serve you. Oh, God. I have a book in my office that very seldom do I pull down because it's difficult. It's a hard book to digest. It's a book Fox recorded, Fox's Book of Martyrs. And whenever I think I'm having real trouble, (laughs) just open it up. I start reading about preachers that were hung on a cross just like Jesus was. They say Peter was hung just like Jesus the Messiah, but he refused to be hung right side up because he said, I'm not even worthy to die like that. While some of us are saying, take the cross, please. Peter said, if i got to take the cross, turn me upside down because I don't deserve to die like he did. I read about another apostle. They said they hung him right side up like they did Jesus. But Brother Lang, as he hung on the cross, they said it took him three days to finally die. And in that three-day period, Bishop, they said that every time he could that when a man, woman or a child would walk in front of the cross by the road where he was hanging that if he could catch his breath enough to do it he would preach Jesus Christ and him crucified hanging between life and death literally exhausted the last breath in his body to tell the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection as he was being crucified And here we are saying, Lord, I don't feel like being crucified. So if that comes, I'm just asking you to get me out of here before it happens. I hope to God we don't see it. I really do, Brother Joe. I hope to God we don't have to to live with it and go through it. I hope, hope the Lord comes back and gets us. But what I'm asking you tonight is if he doesn't. Are you sold out or will you sell out? I'm listening to language right now, and please don't anybody run off with this and misquote me or misdirect my statements, but I'm hearing right now, I'm hearing language of people saying vaccine passports. It's already happening in Israel. I've I've listened over and over. Vaccine passports. They want it right here in the United States. There's several states already trying to make it happen. They're calling for it from the top right now to get it all the way federal across every state. It's not going to happen for a while. But they're saying, listen to the language of what I'm saying. I want you to forget who's in office. I want you to forget who you like and don't like. What they're saying is, if you don't show us some kind of a digital ID, you can't buy or sell. that sound familiar go find it for yourself look up these precious people tonight in Israel that are being affected by it certain stores they can't go in there's only a couple they can go in certain ones they can go in and out groceries churches places what's that have to do with us pastor I'm telling you the language forget that it's a vaccine I'm talking about the language There's coming a day where they're going to look at the church, they're going to look at the world, and they're going to say, look, if you don't take this mark in your right hand or your forehead, you can't come in our store. 
And listen to Pastor when I tell you this. I'm going to say this publicly because I want this to be clarified. I don't believe you will accidentally take the mark. I want this to be crystal clear. You are not going to accidentally take the mark of the beast. I believe you're going to know. And I believe you're going to have to decide right then, am I sold out? Or am I going to sell out? The Lord is preparing the way right now. And I just got a feeling down deep in my sanctified soul that it ain't going to be long now till that eastern sky is going to split. I feel a little touch of that in this room right now. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel. People are going to find out when the trumpet of the Lord sounds what was essential and what wasn't essential for salvation. They're going to find out. They've been wrestling over speaking in tongues essential as baptism essential. They're going to find out. I'd rather take him at his word. Be sold out to it. I'm through preaching tonight. I, I've, I've been through. I just, I need God to help us in this place. This time, one year ago, right now, one year ago, right now, America was going through a test. We, we called it a shortage. It was a test. The TP test. People were seeing how Americans would respond to a lack of something, so they took something that was less essential than food. All of a sudden it just disappeared. And we saw how desperate people were getting. Listen to pastor. People were willing to kill. For toilet paper. And we're not willing to die. For this. God is shaking the church. He's shaking the earth, but he's shaking the church. And he's preparing us for the coming of the Lord. But what we've got to prepare our hearts for tonight is if he comes tonight, we're ready. If he comes in 10 years, we're ready. Whatever we got to face, we're ready. So I've chosen tonight. I'm sold out, Bishop. I'm sold out. If I never preach on another foreign field, I'm sold out. If I never fly overseas again, I'm sold out. I'm sold out. Let's lift our hands all across this room. I don't want to miss this moment. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is reaching for somebody in here tonight. Big time. Some of us polished Pentecostals are going to let this go, but God's reaching for somebody in here right now. We're not going to be surprised by the end times. We're not going to be surprised by signs. For those that are watching online tonight, I'm asking you the question, are you sold out? Or will you sell out? Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm inviting you tonight. If you're watching from home, wherever you're watching from right now, I just want you to begin to call on the Lord.
If you're in this building right now, let's turn it into a prayer room for just a moment. Jesus. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins, it's time to be sold out to it. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, it's time to sell out. If you're watching tonight, you're not close to this church. You're somewhere else geographically in this country around the world. Find you somebody to baptize you in Jesus' name. Pray you through to the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's essential. It's essential. Prepare our hearts, God.